You're listening to an Axe Church sermon. Axe Church Northwest is located in Vancouver, Washington, and we have services meeting each week at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. You can also join us online live at our 11 a.m. service each Sunday. If you'd like to know more about Axe Church Northwest, you can go to axechurchnw.org. Now enjoy the sermon. Thank you, thank you. You know, I'm just thinking, <clears throat> what a fantastic congregation God has drawn together here. Uh, I just can't tell you how much joy I have when I get to come here on Sundays and see all of you. It's just, we got new people come in and first Sunday, it's just like we've known each other all our lives, <laughs> at least from my side. <laughs> It's just wonderful that who God has brought here and, uh, and from all different backgrounds and different places. We got people who were raised in Catholicism. We got people who were raised in uh, all different uh, backgrounds. And here we come together as a blend of people uh, loving God and having a great time. So I just want to tell you how much I love you guys and care about you guys. It's just fun to have... A, a congregation like this. So now you have to like what I say. <laughs> I want to talk to you this morning about grace. And I know you've heard the term, and I know we use it a lot, but I really want us to have a, a far deeper understanding of grace this morning. When our kids were little, my wife used to help them with their homework, uh, especially when it came to spelling. Uh, I can't spell worth beans. You know, I, it's W-O-R something or other, but worth beans, I, I, I just can't spell. It's because when I was young, they had spelling bees, and you'd line up along the wall, and you'd move up to the front spot, and they'd give you a word to spell. And uh, they were doing, you know, house, uh, mouse, uh, kept, and then I got up there and they said, handkerchief. <laughs> handkerchief? I still can't spell handkerchief. I, you know, I was, that was, I, just went, I was only in second grade for crying out loud. I just went to the end of the line and stood there. So I just figured I'm not a speller and I never have been. But they were learning spelling, so Denise helped them with it because Denise is a great speller. Really hard to play Scrabble with her. But anyway... She's helping them, in that, and what they do is they give a list of words, and so they're doing this list of words, and one of the words was grace, and what you do is you say the word, use it in a sentence, and then spell it. So David said, grace, I danced with grace, G-R-A-C-E, and his brother Daniel says, you don't even know grace, she's in my class. Different perspective on things. If we want to talk about grace this morning, here's the thing that I want you to understand. Without grace, we're in terrible, terrible, terrible trouble. We got trouble, my friends, right here in River City. Because without grace, we're done. We don't deserve salvation. Now, you may think, well, I'm a nice person. You know, God should save me just because of who I am. 
No, you're actually somebody who is impure and you've done impure things which made you impure. And pure can never be pure again until it's been cleansed of the impurity. Unless you have your impurities taken away, you'll never be pure. And impure can't make another thing pure. In other words, I can't make you pure if I'm impure. If I take an impure glass and I pour it into a pure glass of water, what's to make the clear glass of water? Impure. It affects it. And that's how we've affected each other. We've affected each other with impurities. We have things we do wrong. We just, you know, you don't even have to learn how to do it. You just start <laughs> doing it. You know, they never taught a class on sin. When I, when I was growing up, my parents would say, I'm going to teach you how to sin, otherwise you won't know how. <laughs> and No, that's not the way it works, is it? We, we're born into sin, and sin is where we are. We're impure. We never can be pure. And without purity, we can never be with a pure God. God is pure. He can have no impurity. Therefore, if we're impure, we can't be with God. So God had to figure out a way to purify us. And he chose to do that, not because we deserve it, but because he loves us and cares about us and gives us grace. Unmerited favor. Something that we don't deserve, he gives to us. I tried to teach this concept to my children when they were growing up. And when they did something wrong, we'd have a consequence for that. David's talked about that in other sermons. And... Uh, one day, I said to David, I said, now, you know you did wrong. He said, yes. I said, okay, so you know you deserve punishment because that's the consequence of doing what's wrong. Yes. Well, this time, I'm going to offer you grace. Not because you deserve it, but because I love you and I want you to understand that grace can be given. So I'm not going to punish you this time. I'm going to give you grace instead. That's where I learned that he's going to be a lawyer when he grew up. Because <laughs> the next time he got in trouble, he says, can I have the grace? <laughs> I don't want the person. Can I have grace again? Get the idea that he didn't deserve it, but because of love or whatever, it's given. So here's the situation we were in. God created a pure, perfect human being. And then created another one taken out of him from his rib and created Eve, his wife. And there they dwelt in perfect purity in the garden until they failed and fell from that purity when they became impure. So God had a choice. Do I destroy because of that? Or do I learn how I could redeem or how I can bring back to purity? So God had a plan to purify that he might be able to have his creation with him eternity in heaven. And the only thing that caused a problem was people. 
You see, people have a hard time maintaining purity. You can become pure for a while, you know, like when I was a kid, I'd take a shower, get all clean. But I didn't stay clean. You know, I had to take a shower quite often, <laughs> especially just before a date, you know. That, it requires a constant thing because we are, by nature, self-serving. We are, by nature, go by what we want. It's called lust. We call it cravings. We call it all different types of things. But we're drawn away and enticed by what we want. What we want to do. We're in charge. And uh, that causes us problems. And that's what happened in the world. And so from Adam all the way to Moses, it got to the point where it says that it was in the hearts of men, hearts of people, to do evil continually. In other words, they didn't even do good after a while. They just did whatever they wanted to do, and it was, it was evil. It was not pure. And so God decided to judge the world. And there's this one verse that says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It didn't say Noah was the great guy, Noah was wonderful, Noah deserved. No, Noah found grace. God gave Noah grace. And he chose him to build an ark. And then he invited all the people to come into the ark that they might be saved from the judgment. This is an invitation by God. And the whole time Noah was building the ark, he was also preaching to them, come, come into the ark, trust in God, judgment's coming. Believe God what he says. If you don't believe, judgment's coming. And it never had rained on the earth at that point. And so they said, you've been drinking your bath water. We don't, we don't believe you. We don't trust you. You know how many people in the whole time Noah was preaching almost 100 years? 100 years. I've done 38 and I'm tired. But at least I've seen people come to the Lord. He preached 100 years without one person accepting his invitation. A hundred years. Brother, they didn't accept. They didn't listen. And judgment came on the earth. And all those people who do evil continually were wiped out. It's not like they didn't deserve what they got. They were given opportunity. They were given a chance. They didn't take it. They hardened their hearts. And so God wiped out the earth and started with Noah. Just Noah and his family, eight and all, were saved on that ark. Started all over again. They offered sacrifice. They got right with God. And then guess what happens? From Abraham, I'm from, from Noah to Abraham, they all went back to sinning again. And so God tried one more time. He decided that he would give grace to Abraham. And he called Abraham and said, I'm, I'm going to make a nation of you. You're going to be my child. 
I'm going to have you walk in my ways. I'm going to teach you everything that you need to know that you might be able to follow me and have fellowship with me. Now, when he chose Abraham, that's a choice, isn't it? I don't know how many of you ever been, when you were growing up, they had a playground and they, and they choose up teams and they choose two captains, usually the most popular guys. You're popular, you get to be captain. You're popular, you get to be captain. And they get to, and they start picking. And you wait in line. And there's only nine places on the ball field. And there's 15 people there. No, that's wrong. I got that wrong. It's more than 15 people. (laughs) There's 30 people there. And so they choose out 18 people. And the ones that don't get chosen don't get to play, right? That means that some get to, some don't. So when God made a choice with Abraham, it means automatically that there were those who were not chosen. Wait a minute. You can't do that. God can't do that. He has to choose everybody. No, he doesn't have to. Nobody deserves, period. Everybody, all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Everybody. Everybody deserves death. God in his grace chose to give. But he didn't have to give it to everybody. Mainly because they wouldn't listen anyway. (laughs) Here's the thing people don't understand. God made us. He's the one who made us. I can tell you this. I have three children. All three of them have their own personalities. You might have noticed David and Daniel aren't exactly the same. You'd notice a lot more if you're hanging around them very long. But they all have their own likes, dislikes, and so forth. And I know what they are. Do you know God made you, and he knows all about you? He knows every bit about you. And I know that I'm not going to get my children teach something they cannot stand anymore. I mean, when they were kids, we tried. You know, Daniel actually was at the dinner table a long, long time. Sometimes. Couldn't eat it, wasn't going to eat it, and that's the way it was. So you're not going to get him to eat it. I know that about him. God knows who's going to be accepting his invitation and who's not. Understand this? God knows every person. He knows who are going to be willing to receive what he has to offer, and he knows who's not going to. So he chooses the ones he knows are going to respond. He chose Abraham. So I'm making a nation out of you. And he started again. So he started with Adam. Sin, 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 sin. Noah. Sin, 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 sin. Abraham. So do you think the sinning stopped? No. Nope. <laughs> oh, kept on going. So finally, he sends his son Jesus. 
to be the ultimate purification, the ultimate sacrifice to take care of the sin problem. And when Jesus died on the cross, the scripture said he died for the sins of the world. He took the entire iniquities and problems and mistakes and all those things that we've done and paid for them on the cross. And he paid it for everybody. But that doesn't mean everybody's going to accept it. Why? You, it's hard to imagine. But people are stubborn. People are self-centered. People are arrogant and proud. People think that they know better than God. And they decide what God can do, what God can't do, according to them. So here's what Paul says in Ephesians 2, verse 12. Therefore remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by the, what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. When Abraham was chosen, everybody else no longer had the opportunity because of their evil. Not because they were good. It wasn't because they were great people. It's because they were not great people. Because they were evil people, self-serving, full of their own selves. And so we were aliens. Without hope. The only hope would be in God, believing in God. Abraham was to be a missionary to the world. He was to take the hope of God to the world and offer it to him. That was one of the missions he had. You go back in the Old Testament, and he's supposed to be a light unto the Gentiles to teach them God's ways. Well, they tried, but you know what? People didn't want to hear what they had to say. They had all kinds of false gods and false ways of looking things. They, they worshipped trees. They made idols. They had all kinds of superstitions. They had one, one of the uh, religions was uh, the prophetesses were prostitutes. In other words, you go have sex as part of the church service. I guess they didn't have much trouble getting the men to church. That's true. They had a temple with over a thousand prostitutes in it. That's what they were doing for church, by the way. You don't think their minds were a little off kilter. So they rejected. They rejected what the Jews offered. And the Jews became tired of doing things God's way, and they started doing things everybody else is doing. My neighbor does this. My friends do this. They all do this. They started taking that on. But we were without hope. We were without the promise of the covenant that God had given Abraham. The only way 
that you could have part of that is he had to come to believe in God and then become adopted in, in a sense. It's called, they called it proselyte. And you could become a proselyte. You could become a Jew. To this day, by the way, you can become Jewish through the proselyte process. But the process in those days were that you offered sacrifice for sin, and then you were baptized. It's called washing in the Old Testament. Washed, baptized. And if you were male, you were circumcised. And then you were brought in and made Jew. You became a Jew. You once were a Gentile, now you became Jewish. That's how you got saved. Very few people became proselytes. Most everybody rejected that Jewish system, but that was the way. Then Jesus came and he died on the cross, and he died for all people's sin. And at that point, he said, go into all the world and preach the good news to every person because no longer do you have to become a Jew. You just need to have faith in Jesus Christ and believe in him, and you'll be automatically adopted into the promise of a Messiah. You'll automatically have your sins forgiven because Jesus paid the price. That's all done. It's open wide. And it's actually called in the Bible the time of the Gentiles. That's where we're living in now. We're living in the time of the Gentiles where salvation is freely given to anyone who will receive it. Before that, only Jews either became a Jew or you were out of the covenant. See, when Jesus came, John 1, 4 says, in him was life and that life was the light of mankind. John 1, 9 says, Jesus was the true light which gives light to everyone coming into the world. How many people is that, by the way? It's right up there on the... Everyone. Amen. You get, you get an A, a gold star. Hallelujah. Everyone! Nobody is left out. Jesus gives revelation to every person. Nobody does not know about Jesus in one form or another. Everybody receives light. Everybody receives the light that gives life. Jesus Christ. Everybody gets it. Will they receive it and keep it and learn about it? That's another thing altogether. Let's talk about this a little more. Romans 1.19 says, what, be, what may be known of God is manifest, made clear in them, for God has shown it to them. John 6.29 says, Jesus answered, said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. God's work. You understand that you don't even have to work at this. God does the work. You know, Ephesians, for by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, that not of yourselves, that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, lest anyone should boast 
about how they figured it all out, how they did this. No, it's God working in you. God works in you so you can believe. You're a responder. You're not the initiator. God's the initiator. You respond. John 6.40 And this is the will of him who sent me that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. John 6.44 No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. God is at work. You know what Jesus said? He says, come unto me, all you who are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Come. Revelation, I stand at the door and knock. God gives invitation all the time. Joshua, choose you this day whom you will serve. You need to make a choice. And God do all the work that's necessary. You need to trust and believe. And here's the difference between believing and trusting. We use a term in English, believe, sometimes doesn't really give the full concept. But I can believe that this chair will hold me. I look at it, it's made out of metal, nice thick foam for seating. I believe it's strong enough, I can believe that that chair can hold me. That's not believing as the Bible talks about. The believing that the Bible talks about is a trust, putting a trust in. If I'm going to do the way the Bible says, I not only look to see that it does, I sit in the chair. When I sit in the chair, I'm trusting. I'm trusting in that to hold me up. But otherwise, I'm just giving intellectual consent to the truth. I believe it can, it can hold me. You know what it says in James? Even the devils believe. And a lot of people say, you ask them, do you believe in God? Yeah. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Yeah. Well, we should be asking, have you put your trust in Jesus Christ? Not do you give intellectual consent that he existed. Most everybody realizes there's too much evidence. Jesus walked this earth. It's just too hard to ignore most everybody will give you the fact that he was here. It's in the historical record. It's everything else. They'll believe that. And they, they may even believe that he's the son of God. But until they trust in what God says, they haven't received salvation. There's a lot of people out there who think they're saved. They're not. Well, I believe. I believe. All I have to do is believe, right? No. You have to trust in him. You have to put your faith in it. You have to sit in the chair. Just not talk about it. Just not believe that it will hold you. You've got to put your faith that it will hold you by sitting in the chair. That is the difference. And who helps us with that is God. He helps us get there through all different means. Jeremiah 31, 34 says, no more, no more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me. J 
John 6.45 says it is written in the prophets. They shall all be taught by God. They shall all be taught by God. Everyone is taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Okay, what's the second part of that? Oftentimes people quote the first part of the verse and leave the second part of the verse off. They're all going to learn about me, but how many of them are, they're all going to hear about me, but how many are going to learn? Learn. You see, anybody who teaches, we got some teachers in here, knows you can prepare a lesson and give the lesson. What they can't guarantee is a student will listen. They could be writing a little love note to the girl in the third row. Not that I know anything about that, but it's possible that they're not listening. The lesson's being taught, but they're not learning. They can choose not to believe the person who's teaching. They're crazy. They don't know what they're talking about. And reject what's being taught, but it's still being taught, right? Still being taught. God teaches everybody, but not everybody learns. Not everybody has a heart or response to learn. Hosea 4.6 says, people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. Not because knowledge wasn't there, it's you rejected the knowledge. Jeremiah 6.19, because they have not heeded my words nor my law, but rejected it. Jeremiah 32.33, though I taught them rising up early and teaching them, yet they have not listened to receive instruction. I taught them. They didn't receive it. They didn't accept it. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not comprehend it. That's what it says in John. It's not that the light didn't shine. It's that people didn't comprehend it. Not because they couldn't, because they wouldn't. There's a difference. You're on the line for your response to what God is doing. He doesn't reject you. You reject him. People say, God can't send people to hell. Trust me. God doesn't send people to hell. People choose to go there. Believe it or not, they choose by their own choice not to accept. If I say you owe a tax bill, you don't owe a tax bill, but let's say you did. You owe a tax bill of $10,000. And I say, here's $10,000. You go, no. Her tax bill is not paid. She still owes $10,000. But I would have gladly paid it for her. But she has to what? Accept it. For whatever reason. Well, I don't accept charity. I'm not going to accept nothing from anybody. Okay, you get, you get to pay the bill then. How does that, that make you feel better? We can learn some principles of how to learn what Solomon wrote about gaining wisdom in Proverbs chapter 2. It says, My son, if you receive my words, incline your ear, 
apply your heart to understanding. If you cry out for discernment, then you'll understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. If you'll do these processes, you're going to find out. You're going to learn. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open unto you. God provides it. You need to receive it. You need to accept it. It's up to you. And God continues, even today, to teach us. He does it by his Holy Spirit. John 16, 13 and 14. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. The spirit has come and he guides people into all truth. 1 John 2, 27 says, the anointing, the Holy Spirit, which you have received from him abides in you so you don't have to have any people teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things. The Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth, will teach you all things, will reveal. He's the revelator. He reveals the truth. You still need to receive it. You still need to accept it. Proverbs says, we're not supposed to lean on our own understanding. Rather, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And we keep leaning on our own understanding, our own worldview, our own things that we think that way things should be. We're not going to receive things because our ways are in God's ways. We twist, we turn, we do things because our hearts are wicked, deceitful. We have a sin problem. Psalm 51.5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Romans 5.12 says, Because all have sinned. Romans 3.23 says again, For all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. <clears throat> Ephesians 2.3 says, We were by nature children of wrath. By nature. Like I said, you didn't have to have a course on how to sin. We are self-centered. Does anybody remember two-year-olds? <laughs> remember when, when, you're, when people are two years old, you watch them, they get a toy, and try taking the toy from them. Mine! Share the toy with your brother. Mine! Mine! You didn't have to teach them that and say, okay, now when someone tries to take your toy, just grab and hold on to it. You didn't have to teach that. It comes by nature. We by nature have that. Nobody has to have a course on sin. All of us have that nature. It's called a sin or flesh nature in the scripture. And it fights against what God's trying to do. And they're contrary to each other. John 6, 63 says... It is the spirit who gives life, but the flesh, the natural man, profits nothing. The Holy Spirit convicts us. We understand what's right and what's wrong because the Spirit tells us. It makes it clear to us. People under conviction. You need to respond one way or the other. You need to respond and accept that conviction and take care of it confess so that God will forgive or you harden your heart towards it
There's an American Native exp, uh, teaching that was said that your, and they refer to it as conscience, that your conscience is like a, a block, a stone block, and your heart, and every time you do something wrong, that stone block hits it, the corner hits it. But if you harden your heart enough, pretty soon the stone block wears away and then you don't feel it anymore. Pretty soon it doesn't bother you to do what's wrong. You do what's wrong long enough and it doesn't bother you anymore. That's never true with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit won't wear down. <laughs> but a hard heart causes us problems. How are there some who refuse to believe they reject the truth? Acts 28, 26 to 27 says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand. Seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Theirs are hard of hearing and their eyes have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears lest they should understand with their hearts and turn. They harden their hearts towards God. Romans 1, 19-21 Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it to them. For since the creation of the world is invisible, attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead. So they are without excuse, because they knew God. And did not glorify him as God, nor thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. They rejected God and became even more blind, even more in darkness because of it. You either receive from God or you reject God. You either believe God or you don't believe in God. But you know what? You can't say, I never knew. Because he's made it known. He's taught it to you. Most people end up in problem because they have a corrupt mind. Romans 1.28 says, Even as they did not retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased or corrupt mind. Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and a people who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And why do they do that? Because they know more than anybody else. They're proud, arrogant. Proud and arrogant. A lot of us don't even realize how sometimes we're that way. You know, when it comes to uh, my, when God convicts me about it is when somebody says something different than what I said and I get upset as if I know all things. Let me, let me tell you something. I don't have to tell you this, but I don't. Now, when I was 20, I thought I did. 
I mean, I thought I knew everything by the time I was 20. I was one of the smartest people there ever was in the world. Just had to ask. When I got my bachelor's degree, I thought I was doing pretty doggone good. When I got my master's degree, I understood that I didn't understand as much as I thought I understood. When I got my doctor's, I realized I know next to nothing. There's so much knowledge out there that I have no idea. So the way I keep humble is I watch Jeopardy. <laughs> that humbles me all the time. How do they know that? I know nothing. <laughs> like Schultz, I know nothing, I know nothing. When we think we know, we're fools. God's knowledge is far greater than our knowledge. They're not even close. And yet we put ourselves in that position. Psalm 199.21 says, You rebuke the proud, the cursed. You see, being proud is actually a curse. Because you think you know. Proverbs 16.5, Every proud in heart, everyone proud in heart, everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Proverbs 21.24, a proud and haughty man, scoffer his name, he acts with arrogant pride. We have to humble ourselves. We need to be humble. The opposite of proud is humble. Remember it was Satan who says, I will be like the most high God. Arrogance. 1 Peter 1 Five says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's the only answer. That's the only answer there is. God giving us grace. When we realize how we do not deserve it, how we do not figure it out, how we're not in charge of it, but we realize it's totally dependent upon what God will do for us. Totally dependent on him. And here's what it says. The Bible says, the Lord will give grace. Psalm 88, 11. The Lord will give grace. You have no idea how important that is. God will give us grace. He'll give it to us if we humble ourselves, if we'll trust him, if we'll believe, if we'll put our heart in his hands. He'll give us grace. We need it. He's chosen us to receive grace. He knows us. He knows us. He knows us because he made us. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves, the scripture says. He knows every one of us. He knows what your response will be. And he's chosen you who are responsive. He chooses the ones who give their heart to him. He chooses you to be in his family. He'll give you the grace 
he'll apply the sacrifice of Jesus' blood on the cross for our problems and our iniquities and our sin. He makes us his children. John 1.12, but as many as received him, to them he'll give the authority or the power to become the children of God. And read the next verse. Because it says it isn't because of us. It's not because of what we do. It's because of what he does. It's all about God. We're not the initiators. We're the responders. We're not the ones who figure this out. We're the ones who respond to what God does. God does it all, and he lets us respond. We'd mess it up. But God loves us, cares about us. All we have to do is say, yes. All we have to do is say, yes. I'm not all that. I need a Savior. I need you, Lord. Please help me. I'm a man who's undone. I'm without hope. I don't deserve anything. Please have mercy on me. Part of the Catholic tradition is they'll smote their chest, comes from one of the scriptures in the New Testament. They'll smote their chest and say, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I recognize I fall short of your glory, God. Forgive me. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Cleanse my heart, O oh God. Create in me a new heart. Help me. Help me. Help me. And God says, I want to. I'm here for you. I sent my son for that purpose. I want you to be my child. Come. Come. Enter. Come on in. Glad to have you back. Father, and we thank you again this morning for this time we've had together. We thank you for your word and the truth of your word. We thank you that you reach out to us long before we even know that we need it. You work in our lives to bring us to truth. You teach us. You, you grab a hold of us. You, you draw us to yourself. And all we have to do is respond. Not stiffen our neck. Not become rebellious. Not think we know more than you. But accept what you've done for us. I thank you that you've chosen to save my soul. Thank you that you love me so much you spent the time to bring me to yourself. And I pray this morning that there are those who have had an intellectual consent to the truth but not trusted that this morning they'll take advantage of trusting with all their heart not leaning on their own understanding, but trusting in you to receive the gift that you offer of salvation and eternal life. 
If they'll do that this morning, they'll go back in the prayer room and they'll pray with somebody and receive the blessing that you want to offer. Grace, grace, marvelous grace. And if there are those who have been hardening their hearts without even realizing it, that they'll soften their hearts and want to know more, to be in your presence and to enjoy that Bible reading won't be dry, that their prayers won't be dry, but there'll be a refreshment that they'll renew again that joy that comes with salvation, that they'll be infused with enthusiasm and love that you have for them, that they won't be able to contain it. It'll splash out on all those around them. I pray that those who need that refreshment will go back and pray with one of our elders to receive that time of refreshment. And I ask you you to bless everyone who's come this morning. Lift them, strengthen them, encourage them. Let them know how much you love them. I pray all this in the name of Jesus, who is our Lord and Savior. Amen. Thanks again for listening. We hope the Lord blessed you through it. We'd like to invite you to join us on one of our Sunday morning services at either 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. Whether you would just like to find out some more info about Axe Church, or if you'd like to plug in and take some next steps in your faith, AxeChurchNW.org is a great place to start. You can also email us at info at AxeChurchNW.org. There's always more content coming, whether it's on YouTube or on our podcast channel. So be sure to subscribe to both of those to always get the newest content from Axe Church. Until next time, we hope you have a blessed week.